I'm Bryce Miller. And I'm Jacob Schatz. And this is Talking Atlas. It's Chaff Chat time, and I'm replacing the part of the episode where I would normally spiel with the first card. Oh my goodness. The first completely randomly selected card, actually, that sounded like I didn't mean it. Chaff Chats, we, we talk about random cards. The first card is called Flare. It's two and a red for an instant. It deals one damage to target creature or player, and you draw a card at the beginning of the next turn. Nowadays, it's next turn's upkeep. This is the kind of card that is garbage in 99.9% of constructed and commander decks, but the one deck it's good in, probably, is Zada Hedron Grinder. Zada makes a spell that targets her target all of your creatures. It makes a copy of it for each creature you have. So this becomes ping all your dudes, but draw a card for each person you have. Each person. Each creature. Person is a weird term to apply to a magic card. (laughs) Cards are people too, Bryce. No, they're not. Don't try to feed me that. They can be. Next up, Thought Harvester. Three and a blue for a 2-4 creature Eldrazi drone. It has Devoid, which means the card has no color in all zones. It has Flying, and whenever you cast a colorless spell, target opponent exiles the top card of their library. Ingest and Processor certainly were a mechanic, weren't they? They were. Really, I thought that Processing was an interesting, if slightly scary mechanic. It's the first time that a mechanic, gosh, I'm going to sound so prissy when I say this, violated the sanctity of the exile zone. (laughs) Because exile is used for two things. It's used for storage, in which case a card will exile another card, but is the only thing that can get it back. Or it is used for, well, it's used for flicker too. Or it's used for permanent, this thing is gone, and nearly nothing can get it back. So it wasn't like processors took a card from exile and then cast it for free or something. They just took it and put it back into its owner's graveyard. But that still felt really weird. It was interesting, don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure if it was okay, if that makes sense. It certainly besmirched the proper order of things. Sorry, it's hard to top violate the sanctity of the exile zone. (laughs) Violate the sanctity of the exile zone is my Bryce Miller cover band? You can't make a cover band of yourself. Not with that attitude. That's not how covers work. What? But what if? What if I do it under a pseudonym? Okay, I don't know entirely what you think cover means with regards to music, but it doesn't mean undercover of darkness. <laughs> what about undercover like James Bond? I okay. Well, maybe. Admittedly, I'm not a musician. We need to talk to Twenty Seven about this. She'd hey, know what I'm to a do. musician. All right. What do you mean, all right? Well, uh, we don't have an album podcast, so I, I assume that, like, if we're doing a what constitutes a cover band of oneself, I feel like I should go to someone with whom I've reviewed cover albums. Well, fine. Pardon me for besmirching your good name. I'm just going to go to the next card. Disdainful Stroke. Oh, God. I'm not even joking. (laughs) I'm not just making some witty retort at Jacob casually dismissing my musical experience. No, actually, the card that I got was Disdainful Stroke. It's one in the blue for an instant. It reads, counter-target spell you care about. (laughs) All right. Sorry, counter-target spell with converted mana cost four or greater. 
I care very deeply about Scred. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. It's also a bit of an overstatement, considering that there are a lot of very powerful three and below mana cards in the format we predominantly play, which is Commander. Next, Angel of Light. Four and a white for a 3-3 three, three Flying Vigilance Angel. So it's it's like Sarah Angel's awkward cousin. It seems mostly fine. When was this originally printed? Starter 99. Ah, that'd do it. Here, we took this iconic card and we made it slightly worse. Welcome to the product. <laughs> Next is the promo of Leatherback Bayloth. It is simply green, green, green for a 4-5. Ooh, dodges disdainful stroke. It does. Highly relevant. Does not dodge abrupt decay, which, you know, is not nearly as relevant in modern. Leatherback Bayloth is actually a card that I have reason to like, because, as I mentioned before, my brief stint in Modern was using a Mono Green Devotion deck, and I tried a few shapes of it as I demoed Modern. There's the Nyx Wavy combo one. The E in Wavy was not. It's Nyx Wave combo, where you use an Eternal Witness and a Primal Command to loop Genesis Waves, more, more or less. You keep casting Genesis Waves and use your Eternal Witness to get them back. And because you keep getting Nykthos's back, you were able to profit mana. It's very weird. Then I tried a slightly stompier version, and this card is perfect for that. It's a big creature. It's way more efficient than most creatures have right to be. And its mana cost is green, green, green. Devotion cares about specifically having colored symbols in your mana costs. Is this maybe the one deck where Thragtusk has a downside despite being mono green? Kind of. Admittedly, Thragtusk doesn't really have a ton of modern relevance. I think it used to when pod was more of a thing, but right now all the Obzon decks are leaning towards Collected Company or Elves or Vizier Combo. So yes, perhaps it's more relevant than Thrag Tusk, but that's not saying much because I don't know that Thrag Tusk is relevant anymore. Aww. Next we have Magnivore. Two red red for a creature Lurgoif. It's a star star with haste. The stars are determined by the number of sorcery cards in all graveyards. Red sometimes gets sorceries matter cards, and I still don't know what to make of them. I think it used to. I believe now red and blue are sharing the space of instants and sorceries, but there is something quirky about a focus on just sorceries. Especially when all the best red spells are instants. That's fair. Lightning Bolt is a modern defining card. Not even modern, format defining, period. Next is the Modern Masters 2015 printing of Deathmark. It's black for a sorcery. Destroy target green or white creature. Extremely disturbing piece of art. It doesn't look like much at a distance. At a distance it looks like an eye that is weirdly crying slash bleeding from the center, which is disconcerting. But when you look closer, you see that the pupil is actually a skull. Exactly the black mana swamp skull. Spooky. Flavor text. There are a few ways to escape the death mark. Bargaining with a demon, washing in the fabled waters of youth, and of course, death. Well, that's not really escaping, is it? I mean, you escaped the mark. But you don't escape the death. The death is the whole point of the mark. They never said that you were trying to escape death. They said explicitly escape the death mark. Hmm. Okay, now escape the death mark is definitely my cover of Jacob's metal band. <laughs> Doesn't that sound really hardcore? Escape it's the death really mark? good, actually. I, I kind of love it. You should write that down, because I'm not about to. 
If it's that important, I'll remember it. Don't worry. Next is everyone's favorite, Steve. 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 That's Steve. Sakura Tribe Steve. Elder. No, we've already done that meme at some point. Ah, but I like that meme. We can't reuse unoriginal material. Everyone else does. <laughs> I just want to be like the cool kids. Jacob, have you met me? We'll never be cool. Oh, I never said we. I can go. <laughs> I mean, if you want, I'll just be. It'll just be an awkwardly quiet chaff chitter. I actually, or not chaff chitter. We don't do those anymore. <laughs> chaff chat. <laughs> this card is actually called Sakura Tribe Elder. One in a green for a one-one creature snake shaman. Sacrifice Sakura Tribe Elder. Search your library for a basic land card. Put that card onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. Sakura Tribe Elder has a number of applications. Notably, I would say it is one of the most powerful cards in Marin of Clan Neltoth. Marin, whenever a creature you control dies, other than Marin, you get an experience counter. At your end step, you choose a creature in your graveyard. If you have more experience counters than its converted mana cost, you reanimate it. Otherwise, it goes to your hand. Steve is tremendous because he is a source of repeatable ramp. He helps you ramp out Marin a turn earlier. The turn she comes out, you get him to your hand. Turn then four, probably. Assuming you hit all your land drops, you play him again, you sacrifice him, you now have an experience counter. You recur him again. The next turn you play him again, you kill him, you get another experience counter, another land. Then you can recur him for free at the end of every turn. It's a value engine. If you can, it is absolutely worth exiling Steve. You would probably need to do it from the graveyard because they can always sacrifice him in response to your theoretically targeted removal or board wipe. Next is Necrobite. Two and a black for an instant. Target creature gains death touch until end of turn. Regenerate it. This card is probably partly meant to function as top-down Farika-flavored removal spell, but I realized it also has another weird synergy. This is from Born of the Gods. When a creature is regenerated, you tap it. And Born of the Gods had the inspired mechanic, which cared about a creature untapping. This being an instant means that you could block with it, kill their creature, Regenerate your own, thereby tapping it, and if it had an inspired ability, it would untap at your untap step and trigger an ability. That's kind of weird. Also synergizes with heroic from that block, so in general, while I don't feel great about playing this card, maybe it worked? Yeah, maybe it did. I wasn't good enough at magic back then, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> Actually, one of the only notable store events that I've played and done very well in, it's come up a few times was a Theros, the set, not the whole block, sealed. Where I think I ended up just making top four, which was fine because that was where the coolest prizes were. Next up is Hindering Light. White, blue for an instant. Counter target spell that targets you or permanent you control. Draw a card. Overall, neat spell. I experimented with it for a time in my Sliver Hivelord Ascension deck. That's the deck where I started as all commons and Sliver Hivelord, and had to earn higher rarities with kills. That project is still ongoing. I found that this card was never quite good enough. I always wanted to be able to counter something that wasn't strictly targeted, so I eventually cut it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all of the big spells that don't target that you'd really, really want to counter for two mana. There are a lot of them. Board wipes are number one in my mind. The main difficulty is the best unconditional low mana counter spells are mono blue. Counterspell, Arcane Denial is pretty fine. Even Swan Song does a surprising amount. But my Sliver Hivelord deck is a multicolored matters deck. And it turns out that most multicolored counterspells are three mana. They're pretty good. Render Silent, which 
prevents them from casting spells and counters their spell, or counterflux, which can be overloaded to counter all spells you don't control. Those are all pretty fine, but they're not two mana. In Commander, also, there's probably a lower percentage of strictly targeted removal, and especially spells that just target an opponent, like burn spells. Unless you're facing down a burn deck, you're not going to see a whole lot of those. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking at countering single target removal on your permanence, which does exist, but there are also a lot more board wipes. Next is Energy Chamber. Two mana for an artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one. Put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact creature, or put a charge counter on target non-creature artifact. Lovely card, elegant design. Little bit sad that it came out before we got the block with energy. Actually, that would have been a really cool third option. Maybe we can call the new one Charge Chamber, just for maximum confusion. <laughs> energy Chamber gives you charge counters, and Charge Chamber gives you energy counters. Oh, I hate it. Let's do it. <laughs> this is a spell I remember fondly. Unbender Tyne. Two white blue for an artifact. Tap. Untap another target permanent. This seems fine. Yeah, the Alara Block artifacts were very weird, the multicolored ones. I love them. I love colored artifacts. I don't think this is a good card, but it's quintessentially Alara, which is a meaningless statement, unless you know what Alara is like, and I don't even because I haven't played it. Basically, I'm saying nothing. <laughs> Next, a slightly less weird artifact card. Actually, this is still kind of weird. Quicksmith Spy. Three in a blue for a 2-3 creature human artificer. When it enters the battlefield, target artifact you control gains tap, draw a card, for as long as you control Quicksmith Spy. Tap, draw a card is a powerful ability. And artifacts are usually a little bit easier to untap, for whatever that's worth. I think the dream, of course, is to put this on an artifact that acts more like an enchantment, where it just has a static ability, and suddenly you have a great static ability that can tap to draw a card. Yeah, that's not bad. Better yet, put it on an artifact that is meant to be able to untap itself because its effect is so minor. Next, still in either Revolt, it's Eitherwind Basker. For green, 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 for a 7-7 creature Lizard. It has Trample. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you get an energy counter for each creature you control. Pay an energy counter. Eitherwind Basker gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. I'm sorry, what was the subtype on this creature? Lizard? One more again? Le Lizard? What, uh, what are we doing here? What is it's this? It's like a dinosaur, only smaller. Okay, yeah, I know what a lizard is, Bryce. <laughs> I want to know who tricked you into thinking that all of these very small dinosaurs were named Lizard. <laughs> no, it's not that their name is Lizard. Actually, I know what I can attribute this to. Okay. There's a game that Jacob and I have occasionally played with our friends. It is called Catacombs. Ooh. Lovely board game. It combines a dungeon crawl aesthetic and outline with manual dexterity because there are creatures that are small wooden discs on a board and your character is a small wooden disc that you flick to attack them and move around and all these things. Pretty involved. It's not really for the faint of heart. You need to be willing to commit maybe... An hour at minimum, but it could stretch to two, could be three, I guess, if you really drag it out. It takes a good long while to finish a game of Catacombs. And it requires a dungeon master as well as players. Minimum two, 
but usually it's best to play four so that four people are controlling their own character and then a fifth is the DM. Our friend Ryan, whom we've mentioned with regard to Horde in the past, for whatever reason has created this meme of intentionally mispronouncing the names of the creatures. So it's not Fire Lizard or whatever. It's a Fire Lizard. It's not a centaur. It's a centaur. That might be one of my favorites, centaur. Centaur is pretty good. I'm going to look out for that now. Next, Devout Witness. Two and a white for a creature human spellshaper. Two, two. One and a white tap, discard a card. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Oh, wow. That's that's actually not bad. Spellshapers are so much fun. They turn cards in your hand into other spells. I fully expected this to be bad, though. It's not fantastic, but repeatable disenchant is fine, I think. On the complete flip side, Mesa Enchantress. One white white for a 0-2 creature human druid. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you may draw a card. This is the M10 printing, reprinted from Planar Chaos. In Planar Chaos, it was a color shift of Verduran Enchantress. It's the exact same effect, but in green. Mono-white druids are never going to sit perfectly well with me. That is kind of weird. The way we've defined clerics, the way we've defined druids are very stratified across green and white. You you can have green clerics, I think, but you don't often get them. Now I have to look that up. There are indeed green clerics. Actually, there's a decent chunk. A couple from Amonkhet, Ramanop Excavator, Vizier of the Menagerie. My goodness. There's also the odd Brutalizer Exarch from New Phyrexia, that is just type cleric. Looks like you either have to be from Innistrad and not go crazy, uh, be from Amonkhet and worship Snake Dad, or speak for the trees. But druids also can speak for the trees. Oh god, then there's Thelonite Druid that is for some reason a human cleric druid. What? No, this, oh, this upsets the whole paradigm. It was originally a cleric is why. It was printed in Fallen Empires. It was Summon Cleric. So they probably didn't want to overly functional errata it, so they added druid that is in its name to its type line. That's funny. For whomever out there was running Abzan Cleric Tribal, you did this. Look at what you did. Actually, seeing that at least three of the clerics here are completely playable in Commander, Abzan Clerics, I'd be fine with that. You're just going to encourage them, Bryce. Oh, far be it from me to encourage people to build decks. It's not like I ever do that on this podcast or on my low-market budget commander segment on edhrec.com. All this time, the call was coming from inside the house. (laughs) Oh, boy. We have another Lurgoyf. This time, it's the Lurgoyf. Ooh. Two green-green. Its power is equal to the number of creature cards in all graveyards, and its toughness is equal to that number, plus one. And the enduring flavor text. Ach, Hans, run! It's the Lurgoyf! Safi Eriksdottir, last words. I want to take a second to just appreciate the Lurgoyf's name and flavor text. Because I'm sure we've done that before, but it's still really good. We now know Lurgoyf as a proper name. But the original instance of the name, and I know I'm explaining the joke and it's going to ruin it, but hey, I got to have some percentage of the words on this podcast. Lurgoyf is the onomatopoeia for the sound of being eaten by a Lurgoyf. That's why it's Safi Eric's daughter's last words. So it's not Akhan's run, it's the Lurgoyf. It's Akhan's run, it's the... Actually, I did not know that. Yeah. 
That's concerning. But now it's a creature type. Huh. Learn something new every day. I really hope I'm not making that up out of nowhere, but that that's how I un- always understood this card. And I'm pretty sure I had read that story somewhere. I will take your word for it. If you at home would prefer to not take Jacob's word for it, I suggest Googling it. And if I'm wrong, you can totally tell me. Because we'll say our Twitter handles at the end. I won't respond to you. But you can <laughs> tell me. I'll respond. I will absolutely respond and help tell Jacob that he's wrong. I won't listen to her either. Next up, it's a magic online version of Fiery Temper. One red red for an instant. It deals three damage to target creature or player. Madness red. If you discard this card, you discard it into exile. Then you cast it for its madness cost. Or if you don't, it goes into your graveyard. TLDR, if you discard this, you can cast it instead of discarding it. And if you discard it, it becomes a lightning bolt. The fun thing about Fiery Temper is that, yes, it is 99% worse than lightning bolt. Except in a situation where your deck discards cards, then draws cards. Because Lightning Bolt can't be cast, it turns out, while it's being discarded. What I'm saying is there are worse Lightning Bolt variants. In a discard deck, this is Lightning Bolt with extra value. Fiery Temper was reprinted in Shadows Over Innistrad and was part of a lovely all-legacy-bordered standard deck, which I thought was hilarious. Heh. <laughs> Here's a weird piece of color hate. Gloom. Two and a black for an enchantment. White spells cost three more to cast. Activated abilities of white enchantments cost three more to activate. You hear that? Just activated abilities of white enchantments. Why enchantments? Why activated abilities of enchantments? This card was printed originally in alpha. I, oh, wow. Dang. I mean, I think that answer is a few of my questions. <laughs> it shuts down circles of protection, I guess? That wasn't nothing back in the day. It's true. It seems a bit, I don't know, eye for an eye to respond to bad color hate cards with bad color hate cards. Well, back in the day, all that you had were hammers, so nail away. World War Three will be fought with targeted enchantment removal. World War Four will be fought with bad color hate cards. I hear on World War Five we're getting dinosaurs again. <laughs> Next, the almost exactly evolving wilds, Terramorphic Expanse. It's a land with tap. Sacrifice it. Search your library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. This is the Plain Chase 2012 printing. I think that the better printing is one that has flavor text, like from Time Spiral. That flavor text is, Take two steps north into the unsettled future, south into the unquiet past, east into the present day, or west into the great unknown. There's something fun about the concept of, there's the past, the present, the future, and the I have no idea. What else is left? That's the scary bit, Jacob. Oh, that's why it's unknown. Next, from Rivals of Ixalan, Famished Paladin. One and a white for a 3-3 Vampire Knight. Famished Paladin doesn't untap during your untap step. Whenever you gain life, untap Famished Paladin. Fun fact, this is part of a two-card combo with Resplendent Mentor. Four and a white for a Kithkin Cleric. It's a 2-2 from Shadowmoor. White creatures you control have tap. You gain one life. Hit a man with lifelink and your vampire will be fed for a day. Give your vampire a tap ability to gain one life and he'll be fed for the rest of his life. At first, I was going to say, 
that was a bit of a stretch, Jacob. Then I thought better of it for the four times I've made awful, awful jokes on just this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I need my one faux deep moment. Next, Chandra's Outrage. Two red red for an instant. It deals four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. Flavor text, Chandra never believed in using her inside voice. I'm glad we're past the point in our lives where every single burn spell ever has to be named after Chandra because I cannot begin to tell you which one is which. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking that I kind of like when we have these little pet spells that are named after Planeswalkers, but if you gave me a list of five different Chandra spells, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about any of them except for deal damage is on the card. Okay, how about this? Chandra's Fury, Chandra's Ignition, Chandra's Outrage, Chandra's Pyrohelix, Chandra's Revolution. Chandra's Pyrohelix is one and a red for a sorcery deal two damage split between two targets? Close, that one's an instant. Ah, Chandra's Ignition has spell mastery, doesn't it? It does not. Oh, see? That one is three red red. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each other creature and each opponent. I've forgotten the other ones already. Yep, that's fair. Chandra's Fury is an instant. It does four damage to a player and one damage to each of their creatures. Chandra's Revolution is a sorcery from either revolt. It deals four damage to target creature. Then you tap target land, and that land doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step, which is part of a new mechanical space they're exploring with red. Next, from Betrayers of Kamigawa, Hokori, Dust Drinker. Must be awfully dry. Two white-white for a legendary creature, Spirit. It's a 2-2. Lands don't untap during their controller's untap steps. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player untaps a land they control. Oh, well, how kind. He doesn't take everything away from you. He just takes most things. And if you save up and play real nice, maybe you can cast one of your big spells eight turns from now. <clears throat> Everybody! Stack, 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 stack. I have no idea that's where my mind went. I have no idea why. <laughs> I wasn't going to try to, like, badly beatbox behind you, because with the delay on Discord, it would have just been completely off. Oh, God, yes. It would have been awful. I could fix it in post, admittedly. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Conqueror's Flail. Two mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each color among permanents you control. As long as Conqueror's Flail is attached to a creature, your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Is this like a backup Dragon Lord Dromoka in the five color dragons deck? It was actually originally in Commander 2016. Huh, okay. Spiritually, it's kind of similar to Grand Abolisher. Grand Abolisher is white-white for a 2-2 human cleric. During your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. The other connection, Grand Abolisher is holding a flail. It's a different flail, but I wonder if there's some weird connection being made between flails and stopping your opponents from doing things on your turn. If that were the case, I wish this card had a slightly different name, but that's being extraordinarily picky at that point. Right, as opposed to conquer something more about defense or protection. Yeah, or admonishers flail. Guardians flail. Oh, wouldn't you know, we got a white enchantment with an activated ability. Blessing. White, white for an aura. Enchant creature. White. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. I was about to say, 
oh, I hate auras where the ability is only gotten through pumping mana into it. But then it's just a plus one, plus one. Strictly better fire breathing. Never mind. The funny thing is, nowadays, this would be in black's color pie. Red has plus one, plus oh. Black has what they refer to as the shade ability, usually, because it's always shades that can be pumped. Next, from Journey into Nyx, Twin Flame. One in a red for a sorcery. It has Strive. It costs two in a red more to cast for each target beyond the first. Choose any number of target creatures you control. For each of them, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens have haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. Ooh, fun. I think the only notable use of this card is for the infinite combo with Dualcaster Mage. Dualcaster Mage has flash, and when he enters a battlefield, he copies an instant or sorcery. If you copy Twin Flame, you can make infinite hasty Dualcaster Mages. And this is why Commander cards get entered into the vintage card pool instead of the modern one. And Legacy, for that matter. True, true. But not modern, I think, is what we're going for here. Fun fact, Mark Rosewater has stated that if he were to design Snapcaster Mage nowadays, he probably would have pushed for it to be in red. Because red is the color that has temporary casting of spells from graveyards, for the most part. But good blue cards are what the Invitational is all about. Moving right along to Restless Dreams. Black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast it, discard X cards. Return X target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. What kind of a deck wants this? I will tell you what. Specifically, my Nyxweaver Popper Commander deck. Aha! Because I can replace the cards I don't want with the ones that I do, and there are a lot of creatures with relevant effects. Also, being a self mill deck, it's very relevant to be able to swap things in your hand with things in your graveyard. This has some seriously Night of the Living Dead, hokey horror type art. Actually zombies pulling themselves out of the ground with hills of gravestones. From Portal 3 Kingdoms, it's Shoe Cavalry. Tuna White for a 2-2 with horsemanship, which means it can't be blocked except by creatures with horsemanship, because there was not any justification for a story based on feudal China to involve people flying. I have a confession to make. When you said Shoe Cavalry... Oh no. I did not imagine S-H-U, like the proper name. I imagined S-H-O-E, like the footwear. So I was very confused until you started reading the card, but I didn't stop being confused when you got to horsemanship because I just imagined a bunch of horseshoes. <laughs> it got worse from there for some reason, but I got back around and figured it out by the end of the card description. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to move on. <sighs> you should, honestly. Next we have Plague Boiler. Three for an artifact. It's a rare from Ravnica. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a plague counter on plague boiler. One green black. Put a plague counter on plague boiler or remove a plague counter from it. When plague boiler has three or more plague counters on it, sacrifice it. If you do, destroy all non-land permanents. Oof. Looking more closely at the art, there's some sort of zombie dude that's just booking it. He's like, oh, oh God, oh no, it's going to go. Gah. He knows exactly what's about to happen. Ravnica Block had a really weird cycle that I'm eternally fond of. A cycle of rare artifacts with activated or triggered abilities that involved two guild colors. So it's a cycle of 10. Probably the best known example is Sunforger being the 
red-white card. It's an equipment that you can unequip to search for instance. It's pretty neat. They're all very quirky. By virtue of trying to make a multicolored effect that could reasonably go on an artifact, they're very neat. I should look those up. I didn't realize that Sunforger was part of a cycle. It is. A weirdly loose one, but a cycle nonetheless. For posterity's sake, the cycle consists of Walking Archive in blue-white, Bloodletter Quill in blue-black, Rakdos Rage Knife in red-black, Gruel Warplow in red-green, Crown of Convergence in green-white, Moratorium Stone in white-black, Mizium Transreliquat in blue-red, Plague Boiler in black-green, understandably, Sunforger in red-white, and Evolution Vat in blue-green. Mizium Transreliquat has to be one of my favorite weird cards ever. It's three mana for an artifact. For three mana, it becomes a copy of target artifact until end of turn. One blue-red, it permanently becomes a copy of target artifact and gains this ability. The flavor text is wonderful as well. What is it? Uh, what do you want it to be? The only upsetting thing is I'm pretty sure this card is worse in almost every way compared to the recently printed Mirage Mirror. I love Mirage Mirror, don't get me wrong. But it's kind of a shame that this card is now a little bit invalid. Mirage Mirror doesn't stay the artifact, so if you just want it to become one thing and stay that for multiple turns without pumping more mana into it, this has its niche. It's true, it's true, but Mirage Mirror is the same converted mana cost. It costs one less mana to temporarily copy something, but the stinger for me, it can copy an artifact, creature, enchantment, or land. Is that correct? That's true, yeah. It's obnoxiously flexible. I made sure to grab at least one copy. I want to grab a few more because it would not surprise me to see it spike at some point due to commander demand. I don't mean to harp on it, but the one advantage that Mizium Transreliquat has, I suppose, is that you can permanently copy an equipment and you don't have to keep trying to shuffle it on and off or have it not be an equipment for a little while or anything like that. Though if I care about copying equipment, I would sooner be playing Masterwork of Ingenuity, which is a one-mana artifact that enters as a copy of an equipment. Yep, fair point. The applications are sufficiently different that I wouldn't see a need in most decks, or really any deck that comes to mind, for Mizium Transreliquat to fulfill both functions. The other main issue being that this card has a red-blue color identity by virtue of having red-blue symbols in its cost. So it can be used in a very particular subset of commander decks, whereas Mirage Mirror is universal. Join me over here at the bad sideways strat, where we play this in Ruhan of the Formori, and just steal the best equipment that someone else is playing. You shouldn't do this. Sure? But you could. I know we're lingering way too long now in this cycle, but Walking Archive is, I don't know if I should call it, it's not really a pet card. If you're new here, you might have guessed that I have an affinity for the card Walking Atlas. It's my Twitter handle, the podcast is named after it, punning off of its name. Walking Archive, I have considered on many occasions as some sort of spinoff. Like maybe an article series? It'd be a great article series. Isn't it our pan-dimensional counterpart? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Next, from Homelands. Ugh. Oh, good. Chain Stasis. Blue for an instant. You may tap or untap target creature. Then that creature's controller may pay... Two and a blue. If that player does, they may copy the spell and may choose new targets for the copy. That is what chain means. That's not what stasis means. I'm trying to imagine what world Homelands was living in 
that tapping down your opponent's creature was so powerful that you had to counter it by letting them do the same if they had enough mana. That's the thing about Homelands. Homelands doesn't care about power. Homelands cares about story, technically, in the sense that every card was designed to tell its own completely independent story. This is why Homelands is very roughly described as a set, because the cards mean nothing next to each other. They're all trying to tell their own individual story. And so if you actually try to sit down and play a card game with them, you end up with a big ball of nothing. Homelands. It's nothing. It sounds like you just made a product pitch. It was urging people to never consider buying this product. Whatever the fundamental opposite of a product pitch is, I believe that is what I just delivered. A nega pitch. Yes. Next, we have Sustaining Spirit. One and a white. For a creature, Angel Spirit. What an interesting type line. It's a 0-3 with cumulative upkeep one and a white. That means that each of your upkeeps, you put an age counter on it, then pay its upkeep cost for each counter. Damage that will reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. So is this an angel that died or a spirit that got ascended? I I could not tell you. I don't know if you said. Which set is this from? Alliances. Oh, okay. The effect is splashy enough to kind of justify the upkeep, but I don't like cumulative upkeep. No, it's not a very interesting mechanic. And like many of these very, very old cards, this effect is not so good that you can't have it without the upkeep cost or on a cheaper card. In Time's Power Block, we actually got this in red. Fortune Thief is a card with morph that prevents your life total from going below one. Let's try out one last card here. Hope it's a good one. Big money, big money. Oh, this is okay. It's Boomerang. Hey! Blue, blue for an instant. Return target permanent to its owner's hand. Flavor text. Early Jamoran hunters devised a weapon that would return to its source. Tolarian Ethermancers developed a spell that skipped the weapon entirely. Heh. <laughs> I like that. It looks like all of the earlier printings previous to this, I think it was Duels of the Planeswalker deck version? Yes, it is. All the previous ones had real-world flavor text from books, from Shakespeare, from things like that. That used to be permissible. We moved away from it when we tried to have magic be its entirely own cohesive world. Out of morbid curiosity, what's the Shakespeare flavor text got to say about Boomerang? Oh, call back yesterday, bid time return. Oh, that's not nearly as funny as I thought it would be. No, that's pretty fine. I've been conditioned to expect much bodier things from my Shakespeare. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to engage you on the philosophical nature of cover bands, where might they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and that's a discussion that I would respond to you. And, Bryce, if someone wanted to say transreliquat five times fast, where would they be able to find you? They could find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. Also, reliquat, 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 reliquat. You forgot the trans. There's a joke in there somewhere. It's, I'm right here. Should I just should I just try again? No. no. The moment's passed. Dang it. We'll get him next time, kid. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. Last week, 
on our Plane Shift Ixalan episode, I asked you to send in your D&D characters and we would equip them with fun things, fun magical objects or trinkets of great desire. And some of you did just that. And so we did just that for you. At that Matt Surday said, My Ixalan D&D character is Rexar Skullcleaver, an orc battlemaster fighter formerly a chieftain's son, now serving in the Brazen Coalition to gain notoriety, to one day return to Torazon, retake his homeland, and crush the Legion of Dusk. For Rexar, I said, in his flight from Torazon, Rexar slew a Legion of Dusk officer who was carrying a delicate wooden box containing an apparently normal gold doubloon. It exerts the gentlest tug towards the capital of Torazon, a constant reminder of what Rexar pledges to return to. Thank you, at Matt. If I may call you at Matt. And from Lysander Snow, at Mandramas, on Twitter, we got this character. My Ixalan D&D character is a Kensei monk vampire, very cool archetype, that has a secret revenge with the Queen of Vampires and wants to ascend in the court in order to have a chance to slay the mentioned queen. To Lysander, I said, Your armbands are emblazoned with the church's seal and infused with binding magic. You have advantage on checks made to maintain a grapple with creatures you have used your vampiric bite on. Someday, when you take your revenge on the queen, she will not escape your grasp. But this week... Drop us a line and tell us what your favorite is of that cycle of Ravnican artifacts with multicolored costs in them. Then tell us what deck you would put it into, and we will recommend another card for that deck. As always, it has been lovely chaff-chatting with you, and until next time, happy planeswalking. <laughs>